I don't know how, how much you could connect with the uh, emotion behind that last song, but uh, I, I want to st- start out by, I'm going to talk a little bit, just a, real briefly, about our conference that's life and I just got back from in Chicago, so y'all uh, getting coffee, get it quick, come back. Uh, we're going to, uh, so, so it has to do with, really, I think it ultimately, that, that song, when, when we were singing it, man, that was... That was really connecting with what I was feeling for the church this week as I was uh, sitting uh, under all these speakers that were just talking about, uh, amazingly, about the things that we're either doing now or the things that are already a part of our vision. One of the things I love about right now in the conferences they put on is it puts us, it puts Talitha and I in contact, in, in contact with and under the teaching of People who are like us, because I feel like at times, we, y'all feel this too, I'm sure, that we're ministering kind of in a vacuum or we're out by ourselves on some spiritual limb, a religious limb that nobody else in this town seems to be connecting with. And it's frustrating for us at times, but I'll tell you, for me as a pastor, because I'm responsible to the Lord for your spiritual, uh, in some ways for your spiritual growth, at least for a direction and vision for your life as a member of this body, I take seriously <laughs> that vision. And, and I, I don't ever want to find myself out on some, some limb that is not connected with the work of God. And I, would, I am never going here's what I believe, will always believe this, that there's never going to be a small group of people that are the, like, a, like the size of our church that are doing it r- right or walking with God in, a, in the right way and that there's nobody else in the country that's walking this way, right? Would you all agree that that would be drinking the Kool-Aid? Okay, that's drinking Kool-Aid. Uh, this is not that. And I want to encourage you because you couldn't be at the conference with us this week. I want to encourage you that Great men and women of God spoke this week about a move of God and spoke about the same kinds of things that we're experiencing here. As I, I sat there and listened, to, for instance, to uh, Chip Ingram, who wrote the book Invisible God that we walked through four chapters or four sections of uh, in, our, in this series in January. Chip Ingram spoke about the same stuff, about how what, what is what made men and women of God great in the Old Testament, and he started going through and New Testament, was that they knew God by experience. Y'all ever hear that before? (laughs) They had personal experiences with God through their obedience to God's commands in their life, and so it changed their hearts and desires, and they desired more obedience and more encounters with God, a deeper knowledge of God. And he just said it straight out. As he was starting to build it, I was already getting goosebumps, and I looked over to life, and Scott and Jessica Cantwell came with us, and I'm looking over at them, and I'm going, it's fixing to happen. And then it happened, I went, yes! You know, this is so encouraging to me. I don't know if you guys can feel what I'm feeling, but to know that there's, there are leaders who are writing books and are pastoring large churches in other places other than Alexandria, Louisiana, or in the south. Some around Dallas, okay, big city, a lot more uh, of a melting pot of people. But God's moving. He's working. This is what God is doing in the world right now. He's drawing people into intimacy with himself and drawing us away from dead religion. 
And you as millennials particularly are going to lead the way in this movement. Uh, you know, I, one, of, one of the guys spoke about millennials. and said, we better embrace millennials because they are our future. Uh, you know, and it's true. You are the future of the church. And I, I think the future's in good hands. I think the future's in better hands than it's ever been in my lifetime. And I'm just glad to be connected with you guys. I'm glad you accept me and you let me speak to you and preach to you. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you understand that what I speak comes from God, that it's not some random stuff. But I want to encourage you. Because, man, I was encouraged. And, and, I, and you get, didn't get to, you weren't there. So, uh, you know, some of these things are going to be put out on Right Now Media. And some of the stuff we'll be able to actually purchase to let you see if we want to. You know, just, just these guys and gals. Of men and women of God that were speaking. Just great, great stuff. But I want to say this because I want it to be on the podcast because we, you know, it's summertime, so people are out. We're, we're, we're a mix of people. So I want to say this and make this challenge on the podcast before I start the message. And it, it's so expressed in what we just read, uh, what we just sang. As I was praying here this morning, after singing that song in the last verse, I just, just said a prayer to God. And I had been praying this through the, throughout the week. God, would you somehow miraculously get this passion into our hearts? Would you, would you do the work necessary to get, it, get us to the place where we can say, Lord, I want to yearn for you. I want to burn with passion over you and only you. Not all the stuff, not church and all, you know, not stuff, not programs and, and not theology and not doctrine. And, and again, I say a lot about all that, that stuff. It tends to be in a negative way because God has us speaking that for whatever reason. But I, we have all experienced it in a negative way. It's all good when you do it the right way. But when we burn for Christ, all those things fall into place. And so I'm going to make a challenge today that I feel, feel like is from the Lord. I made this challenge, by the way. I don't even remember when, but it was on this platform probably two years ago, maybe three, when we were first getting started in this building. But it wasn't received, to be honest. I didn't have many people bite so here's, here's the challenge I'm going to make with a, hopefully a whole different congregation today. Understanding that we all operate in the grace of God. There's, nothing, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your pastor is not saying, I want you to do this and you better feel motivated because I'm trying to motivate you from the outside. I'm not trying to persuade you to do something. I'm just going to ask you to ask God, would you be one of 20 people in this body? That would say, I don't feel it, maybe, or I'm starting to feel it, wherever you are, but I want, I want to burn for Christ. And, and I want to, like we talked about last week, those leaders and how they responded to the death of Ananias and Sapphira that was pronounced by the Holy Spirit. And, the, and their fear resulted in them diving deeper in with God, more passion for God, that that you would press in, that you would at least say today uh, or, uh, that you would make a commitment under the under leadership of the Holy Spirit and only after you've asked God and only after you find it in your heart 
I want to go after God. I want to know him more. And, and I, I'm, I want to, to make a commitment to do that. And, and I'm committing to this, knowing what I'm saying. I'm committing to 20 hours a week of investment in 20 of you. It's, it's way more significant than that, but it's certainly worth it to me. I wish I could find 40, 50 hours a week. If 50 of you would say, uh, I'm this committed to it, that, that I'm going to press in. I'm going to resolve to be done with this wishy-washy fence riding of, of what I know to be true. We already know it in our minds. But we're not pursuing. And all we're going to do together is we're going to talk through, are you abiding? Are you abiding? In other words, I, I, I want to know and I want you to know from me that here's some things I've been asking God about. And here's some things he's been speaking to. And I've, I'm going to obey him in this area. Pray for me. And, and, and I'm going to pursue God in this way. And then we're going to come out of it. And I'm going to ask you the next week, what did God say to you? All right, what did God show you about himself? And we're going to figure that out. We're going to talk it through. So whether it's good or bad, whether, whether you understood it or didn't understand it, we're going to talk it out together. Because I think it's going to take that for us to ever get over the, over the line that we've got. It seems like it's this wall, really, not a line. A wall that's stopping us from from having a heart that really wants to go after God. We're just, we're, we, it has to start happening at some point in order for this to get out into the community to bless the people around us. We've got to understand it and walk in it. We, we need to know God by experience in order for us to, to be able to be that kind of blessing. And so our ABCs, I'm going to ask you who you're blessing. I'm going to ask you, how's that going? You know, we're going to ask me, and I'm, we're going to talk about blessing people. We're going to hold each other accountable, not in a negative way, like you better get it or not come. No, we're going to come. We're going to show up to each other because we're not doing this because we have to. We're not doing it because you need somebody to do this with you it's so that you can press into what you already want to do. If it's in your heart and God calls you to it and you want to press into him, to know him, then I want you to have success in that. I need accountability also to be walking in that. So, so we're going to talk about blessing. Are you praying for friends of yours that are not believers or that are wandering, wandering Christians out there? Are you, are you listening to them, eating with them, serving them, sharing your story when the time comes? Are you following the Holy, watching the Holy Spirit to see when that moment is, is you know, God's ready? And then committing to community. I mean committing to community. I know that this is my job, but let me just tell you, I'm here every week other than the times I'm on vacation or going to some conference because I love you and I love the Lord and I love being in community with you guys. I go to life groups not because I have to. I go because I love you guys. I want to be with you. And there's something that God's doing in me. I know he's doing it in you. Now, I know we all feel the same. You, if you could say that, you would say the same things. This is what we do, but we somehow God is... I mean, Satan has robbed us of our commitment to that. And he does it over and over again. And it's not a works-based for us anymore. We know that we have the grace of God, and we know that God doesn't look at us any differently if we don't show up at life group or we don't show up on Sunday morning. But we're not passionate about it. It's about him. <laughs> you know, our passion for him draws us to each other. That's what's going on in the book of Acts. They're not passionate about their church service. They're passionate about experiencing God in community with a bunch of other believers that are like-minded. They're just following the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? I mean, that's a sermon in itself. I should just say amen. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to pray about that. I, I, I believe that there's 20 people that the Lord has. I still believe that there's 20 people that the Lord would have to press in, to be determined, to, to do it when it doesn't feel good, to, to see what God would teach us as we press in together. And, and I'm willing to help all that I can for those 20 people. And if it's 40, let's do it. I'm ready. If it's 80, come on. I can find 80 hours in a week. You only got to find one. I, look, I am so excited about the future of this body and where God would have us. And I think we need to expedite that. After hearing some of the speakers, which I'll touch on some of this stuff later, but I need to be, I need to be developing some of you and helping you to get on, get on forward because I don't know where I'm going to be next year. You know, If God calls me to go plant another church, I, I, may, I may have to give up my Sundays. And somebody has to carry this, this relationship focus. And it's not going to be a pastor. It's going to be a people. It needs to be secure. That message, that, that word that God has for this community needs to be secure. So I've been challenged. I'm challenging you. So take it. Take that challenge, man. I want to yearn for him. I hope you do too. I want you to yearn for God. And it's, it, it's, it, we're right on the precipice of that. It's just a matter of crossing a line. And, and in a lot of ways, it's doing spiritual warfare and fighting the fight and getting, getting rid of the excuses, not letting the enemy talk us out of it. But ABCs is still what we're about. It's all we're about. Abide in Christ, bless people, and commit to community. All right. I feel better. All right, last week we took a look at the fear of God that resulted from the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. In the book of Acts. Uh, fear being defined last week as a profound respect and awe for deity or for God. All right, so there was a tremendous amount of respect and awe for the Holy Spirit that was created in the hearts, the Bible says, of the whole church and all those who heard about it. There's a tremendous amount of fear that was created as a result of this experience. Now that fear, as we talked about last week, was seen in four different responses. The first response was as a response of the apostles. The apostles pronounced judgment. They were the ones that pronounced the judgment of God on Ananias and Sapphira. So they actually had the power of God working through them, moving through their own voices to, to uh, uh, have this great move or miracle of God uh, performed. So what was their response? Their response was to go right into the next day, continuing to, to do signs and miracles, knowing that they had the power of the Holy Spirit moving in them. If they could be pronounced the death of someone and they died on the spot without anybody touching them, they just fell dead, okay, we, we get it. God's power is in us, right, to do whatever, this huge, powerful de- demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So the, so the apostles were just turned on more. They didn't run away. They ran towards God, and they ran toward more miraculous experiences. God, use us. And so that's who we see all the way through the book of Acts. We see the apostles performing miracles and signs. They're the ones doing the miracles because they knew God, they trusted God, and they allowed God to use them and all of us. And my challenge to you, again, and to those 20 that might be out there that would receive this this challenge and be a part of of a group of people that are pressing in in our church that also you would see yourselves as those leaders 
that would have multiple experiences with God through obedience that would cause you to know that there's nothing impossible for God, that if God speaks something, it will happen, and you're just a vessel. Then the believers, they all came together as a result of this. Believers didn't run. They came together in, in Solomon's portico, and they were even more drawn to the Holy Spirit because they began to spread the message of Christ around the town. And then the would-be deceivers, I love this. We're starting to see, I was talking to the worship team this morning about this, we're starting to see a separation of communities. We're seeing two communities forming. We have a religious community, and we have the Holy Spirit-led community, the Spirit-filled community. There's two communities starting to form, because as a result of this, the fear of God, this deep, profound respect that the would-be deceivers had, those that would walk in their old religious way of being whitewashed tombs and and pretending to be something that they're not, acting like they got it together, and being a poor example and letting that yeast spread into the congregation or the community of believers, the Bible says that they would not dare join them after that. So God's forming these two communities. One is his and one is not. And then those who were being drawn already by the Holy Spirit, drawn into salvation through all the things that were happening as a result of the Holy Spirit and obedience to the people, to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, uh, they became believers. So all that happened. That's the response. That's fear, our profound respect and awe for God that resulted from Ananias and Sapphira's death. Everybody got that? Say, oh, yeah. Everybody still awake? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Now, this week, we're going to look at one more group who responded to all of this. Mainly, they responded to not directly to the, the death of Ananias and Sapphira, but they, just, they are responding to the, to the people who responded to the death of Ananias and Sapphira. They're starting to respond to the four people, groups of people that we just talked about. We're going to look and see the response of the religious leaders in our message today. And the title of the message is Power Moves, and you'll see why as we read this text. I had so much fun just reading this text this week. So I'm going to read the whole thing for us, and then we'll, we'll tear it apart. So as, but as we read the text this morning, do this for me. Listen to our text for the two different types of power, our power moves that are happening. And we're going to compare the power moves of religion and the power moves of the, of the Holy Spirit, basically, uh, after we read the text. Okay, so Acts chapter 5, 17 to 42. But the high priest rose up. And all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I love that already. But here's, here's, the, here's a better part. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, and so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came to them and came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Yet here you are, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Judas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all that followed him were dispersed, and he came to nothing. After him, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. And he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. All right, I got to roll through these. Y'all ready? I wanted to read the whole text. Isn't that fun? Y'all see the power moves? Got a couple of power moves going on here. One is between the Holy Spirit, or one, one is the power move of the Holy Spirit, and the other is the power move of the religious leaders. And, and I want to say before we get into this, we're going to look at, at seven quick things. Don't get nervous. Quickly, we're going to look at seven things, seven different ways that, that these power moves work. And we see both of them. We see all of this. I've experienced both of them. I have been the religious leader who has used certain power moves in order to get results. And, and I've also now, I'm in a church that embraces the Holy Spirit who provides all the power that we need. There's a power that's going on. And, and the, the religious leaders, thinks it, thinks, they think it's the people that have the power. They think it's the apostles that have the power. And so they're trying to shut them up. What they don't realize is that's the power of the Holy Spirit, and the apostles have become nothing. They've become nobody. They are just submitted to the Holy Spirit, and as a result, the Holy Spirit is showing off and showing them where real power comes from. And so as we go through this, I want us to recognize this. The thing that God's called us to do is to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit as a church. We are committed to this. Abiding in Christ is that. It's walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit and coming to discover God in a way that it changes our hearts and deepens our desire to walk in obedience with the Holy Spirit. So God wants to show the people around us who he is and the people who are around the apostles and these new believers, all of them, 
as they are walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit, everybody in the town is being affected and they are following, they are, they are drawn in to have a relationship with Christ and to be in community with these believers. But not so with the religious leaders. They're losing people and they're operating uh, out of, they're doing all they can to draw their power moves, they're doing their power moves to try and keep people coming to them, to try and keep this, this uh, religious movement, if you will, happening, to keep their popularity up, to keep their position secure. So let's look at it. First of all, it's the right people versus the right position. The religious leaders tried to gain power by gathering the right people. Look at it. 17 and 21, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees. Now, by this time, the Sadducees, during Jesus' day, they, it included uh, families that supported the high priest and, and, and other people who were aristocratics, aristocratic people. Uh, rich, wealthy people were supported by the Sadducees. And so here's the, they're gathering their people, they're gathering their money people, gathering their power people. Getting them around them, the high priest gets up and he gets these power people with him. So he's getting the right people. And in verse 21, you see it again. After they break out of prison, it says, Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel. Okay, and then we also have the Sadducees and we have the high priest. So, man, they got the power team, right? We're going to get all the influential people. And we're going to gather them together, and we're going to take care of business, right? They're gathering this meeting, getting all the power people in the room together, and we're going to go take care of business. So what's going on here? And the apostles just wanted to make sure, that, uh, the, the uh, religious leaders just wanted to make sure they had all their ducks in a row so that they could do what they always did. They could use their power of persuasion and fear and guilt, and all those different motivators that were not from God to make the people do what they wanted to do. And the people were in bondage to that, to this religious baggage, all this stuff that, that, every, that re- churches were saying, that the, the, the church was saying, you have to do these things in order to be right with God. And they were using their persuasion, and they were also using the legal system that they were over to persuade people. And we, churches do it today. I've done it. There's that method, and religious leaders can do that. We can use all the the programs to entice, and we can use all the the guilt preaching to motivate and move people to do things they have no desire to do, and we can pressure them into for fear of uh, condemnation or for fear of some kind of wrath of God experience. We We can push that, and so many churches, particularly in the South, are still using that, persuas- that persuasive method, all these different methodologies to make people do what they want them to do. But what do the apostles do? The apostles are not worried about the right people. They're just worried about being in the right position. That is being in the place where God wants them to be. They're in Jerusalem because God told them to stay there. They're in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit has led them to stay there. Against all odds, they're still in this place. And we want to be a church that follows the Holy Spirit and that we're in the place where God would have us to be. That we're, we're in the position where God would have us to be. And it's, uh, let's, let's move to Monday. That's another thing we l- learned about this week. It's, I don't want to preach for Sunday. We're preaching from Monday through fr- Saturday, okay? So let's move to tomorrow this time and where you are. 
God has placed you where you are. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gave you your job. The Holy Spirit puts you in school. The Holy Spirit gave you your family. Whatever it is, wherever God's going to have you tomorrow at this time, the Holy Spirit has placed you there. We're not talking about coming here. We're talking about going there. Those places where the Holy Spirit places the church, puts the church, is, is significant. The Holy Spirit placed them in Jerusalem, and he places us. And we're going to be in the right position. That's our goal. The Holy Spirit's power is revealed by his people being in the right position. It's amazing how you show up when the Holy Spirit puts you in a place and, and someone needs a word from God and you have the word. Or someone needs a, just a kind word and you give a kind word. Or somebody needs a special uh, financial blessing and you give a huge tip and it and they blows their mind. Because it's not you. They're perplexed because it's the Holy Spirit. It's the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not concerned about us having the right people. He's concerned about us being in the right position. The people that we have being in the right position. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is divine power. We've been seeing that. When Peter, when the, when the Holy Spirit shows up, or Jesus shows up in the boat, all of a sudden, all the power to be able to, to catch fish was in the boat with Peter. He didn't have that power the night before because the, Jesus wasn't in the boat. We have the Holy Spirit in the boat every day, all day long. So the power is there in every place where we are. So you're in the right position. You're in the Holy Spirit. That's the right place. And the places where you are, you are bringing the Holy Spirit with you. <clears throat> Second thing, led by jealousy versus led by the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders were led by their jealousy. So the high priest heard, obviously, <laughs> there's a lot going on in the, in the city of Jerusalem. The, the, the apostles were reaching more people than he was. They were getting more attention and gaining more influence than he had, and so he used the influence that he had. But he's led by his jealousy. Look at it in verse 17, 18. The high priest rose up, and all who were with him, as a party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. They were filled with jealousy. What made the religious leaders uh, get their power people in place? What, what caused them to gather everybody they could to pressure the people to, to do something? It was jealousy. I don't, I'm not even going to spend any time. I'm just going to say, we recognize that, right? Church, y'all recognize that religious organizations today are in competition with one another? That what drives people? Just get on the Internet if you're, if, and, and read anything that's written for pastors. And it's all about grow yours bigger than the other people or grow this bigger than the other folks. Uh, there's very, very little of that to this, week in, this week in Chicago. Very little of that. I appreciated that. I'm so tired of hearing people say, we are, we did this, and we had to open. It was God, but we did this. You know. And it wasn't God. It was you. And you did what you could do when you get your power team together. Get influential people, speakers, programs. Get all the stuff together, and you can grow a movement. But it's not God's movement. They, they got their power people together because they were jealous. They were jealous of the success of other people. To be honest, there was a long time when I hated to hear about the success of anybody because it made me feel like I was worthless. It made me feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm not doing enough. And, and honestly, it, it happens a lot to me still. I still feel this pressure. Well, the group, the church isn't growing fast enough. That old default mode of mine is from the devil. 
That's religion. That is not the Holy Spirit. They were concerned. Uh, the religious leaders were led, rather, by jealousy. And, but the apostles were led by the Holy Spirit. Look at it in verse 20 and 21. Holy Spirit said, or the angel of the Lord, Holy Spirit through the angel, says, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So those, the people in the community of Christ would simply ask God to reveal what they needed to do. And that's why we see this explosion happening of new believer after new believer and people filled with the Holy Spirit who have no experience all doing the same thing. Why? Because they were asking God to reveal what they needed to do. That's abiding in Christ in its best. It's understanding the will of God. That's all it is. You know, these guys were led by jealousy. What we need to be led by as a, whole, as a Holy Spirit-led church and a Spirit-filled church, we just need to be led by the voice of the Holy Spirit. God, just speak your will for us. We are led by that. We're not led by good ideas. We're not led by, uh, by results of, of weighing out pros and cons and figuring out this is a better way for us to go. We're not led by logic here, right? We're led by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead us. We're not going to be led by jealousy of what other churches are doing or what other religious organizations are doing. We want to see an explosive move of God, but we want it to be a move of God. We want to see lives transformed, but we want to see God doing the transforming. Y'all with me? I love that. Third thing. One quiets the opposition versus the other one giving truth to the opposition. The religious leaders attempted to quiet the opposition. So in verses 27 and 28, when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in the name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They're trying to quiet the opposition through pressure, through arguments, and through picketing, you know, holding up their signs, don't preach anymore. And that is what religious organizations do. We try to quiet the opposition. We just want the other people to shut up if y'all would just be quiet, right? We don't like what you're teaching and it's drawing a bunch of people to your church instead of to our church. So just shut up. So what do they do? They put them in prison. What do they do? They strictly charge them not to speak anymore. Or the apostles, they gave the truth to the opposition. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than, these, than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. I love this. And they're speaking the truth to the opposition. They're like, should we obey God or you? Okay, we know the answer to that and so do you. That was rhetorical, but by the way, let me remind you. You hung him on the cross, he rose, he rose from the dead. Let me remind you what Peter uh, wouldn't say in the garden, but said at Pentecost, that he's the Christ. That's, that's crucifying words right there, right? That's what Jesus was crucified for. He said that Jesus was the Christ. He said he was the Christ, and Peter saw it, and he ran, denied Jesus three times. But now, filled with the Holy Spirit, something different is happening. Now, when Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and in this case, the, the apostles uh, were the ones arrested, and they're speaking. They're speaking the truth in love, and they're speaking it. Let the truth speak for itself. 
Here it is. Do with it what you will. And that kind of boldness, passion comes from one place. It's from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't put in our hearts jealousy for other people and uh, trying to shut them up so that they won't be effective in reaching more people than us. The Holy Spirit in us wants people to know God so desperately that we would do anything, even speak to the opposition to convince them that what we're saying is true. That Jesus is enough, for instance, you know. He's enough. How many churches can we say that to and they believe that? That having a relationship with Christ is enough, that it accomplishes everything else. So they don't, they're not worried about quieting the opposition. They're going to preach to the opposition. All right, number five. Fearing people's, the people's response versus giving no thought to the people's response. Pretty obvious in this story. The religious leaders were worried about how the people were going to respond. In verse 26, it says, The captain of the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. They, they were afraid of what people were going to think. They were constantly having to guess about what they would do, how they would adjust themselves uh, in order to make sure that the people didn't respond in a poor way. Look, uh, I, I, I'm not sure I ever really agreed with, ever, the seeker service movement where we have experiences where believers come together or we have church for the sake of seekers every Sunday instead of for the sake of believers. I think that's a result of this. I think it's a result of that kind of thinking. It's that we need to be careful what we do because we want to get more people in. We, we need to, the people are what's important. Let's look at the people. Let's look at our demographic, right? And let's plan what we do at the church based on our demographics so that we will draw more people in to fill the seats in the church. That whole idea of being people-focused and worried about what people think and, our, and making our decisions about what we're doing in ministry based on that. The, the, the apostles had no concern for people at all. They were just speaking what they spoke. Look at it in verse 30 and 33. The God of our fathers, this is theirs, all right? They went right back to the temple, by the way. <laughs> they were told not to preach, thrown in jail the day before. And when they got released by the Holy Spirit, then they did what the Holy Spirit told them to do, went back to the temple and started preaching. You want to find us? You know where to find us. We're going to be teaching in the temple. But we said no, but we don't care, right? So that's where we find the apostles. The God of our fathers, Jesus, whom you, I'm sorry, wrong, yeah, whom you uh, killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance and to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. They knew that was coming, and they said it anyway. They don't care. They're just speaking truth. They, all they're concerned about is, is speaking the truth that God gives them, spreading the message of Christ, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, and then God is drawing a crowd like crazy. They quit worrying about the people, and then God drew the people. I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see us quit being worried about what people think about us and just walk out in the, in the public and say the stupid things that they're going to think are stupid but are from God and just speak them. Say, God said. People don't like to hear that when you say, 
God told me, blah, blah, blah. They go, God told you, right? Oh, okay. I'm not saying we need to be, just go say that in order to get people to, we need, but we need to communicate that God is speaking. He's revealing. I, I, I was convinced that God was leading me is a good way to say it in this culture, right? That, that gets received a lot better than God said, right? But he does speak. God speaks. We know that as a church. We are dependent upon that. So we get out there and say it, and we don't care what people think. Here's what, here's what, why'd you do that? Well, God said. Like what Will shared a few weeks ago. I love that. I have to tell you this because I told God that if anything happened, I would share how I know this, that my wife is going to be healed. God said it. And here's how. We, we need that kind of move of the Holy Spirit in the congregation here. We need to be a people that are led by the Holy Spirit, but we also need to be a people that are willing to give no thought to the response of what people think out in the, out in the world. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right. Number six, obeying men rather than our verses obeying God. Now, we're not going to read the Scripture again on this point, but we've clearly seen that the apostles had a resolve to obey the Spirit regardless of the thoughts of men. And the religious leaders are constantly consulting those in power to make a decision about what they should do. They're getting the heads together, the, the, the professional religious power heads together to make a decision about what to do. I love the fact that as Southern Baptists, as loosely connected as we are, I love the fact that as Southern Baptists, we are an autonomous church. I would not be a part of a denomination or of a church. I would not be a pastor in a church where some other organization or head is over us. For this reason, I'm not going to get all the heads, the spiritual heads, those people that Southern Baptists or anybody else have said, these people are the ones, man, they're the ones, they're the, they're the big leaders, they're the big wigs, and get all the power people together to find out what we're supposed to do. And the apostles didn't do that. They weren't obeying men. They were obeying God. And, and, and by the way, it's our determination, not always our practice. We try. I mean, I want to, and I'm a lot better at it than I ever have. And it's very rarely that I don't do this. But if you come to me and ask me what God's will is for your life, what am I going to say? What? Ask him. I'm not giving you God's will. I don't want you obeying man. I want you obeying God. God, look, God has led some of you to do things I wouldn't have done. I would have advised you the opposite way. I learned a long time ago, don't give advice because your advice is not God's advice. And you're becoming an amateur providence, as uh, Oswald Chambers calls us, an amateur providence in someone's life. But you need to go to God. That's the whole purpose. The Holy Spirit is in you. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. But we need to obey, okay? We, so notice that, that it's separate here, uh, uh, intentionally. We need to obey what the Lord tells us. It's not enough just to hear it. I feel like sometimes on Sunday, you get a word from God when you're in here, and you walk out, and there's nothing to talk about on, on life group night. Why not? Because you left the sermon in here. God spoke, and you didn't take it with you. You didn't even think about it until life group like when some, uh, night when the questions come up. Sometimes I feel like that. We're also really good at times of really hearing what God says and taking it and putting it in our Monday. So let me ask you, tomorrow, on Monday, what are you going to be doing with these truths that we're talking about today? 
We need to apply. We need to obey what God says, not just know what he says, but obey what he says. And then in Acts 5, we're, we're going to pass this verse, but Gamaliel stands up. I just want to make this point, though. God uses one of them to get the, get the leaders out of their way. God uses Gamaliel to speak truth to, by the way, at the end of that little, uh, he, at the end of his little uh, discourse, he says, maybe, uh, what if we are opposing God? <laughs> he, he's able to say that as one of them, right? What if we are opposing God? Anyway, God uses Gamaliel to stop them from, from killing uh, the apostles. Your life is not in the hands of the people around you. Your life is not in the hands. Uh, now, look, this is one case where they're going to suffer a little bit, but they got out of prison the night before with no suffering. They were freed, right? There's times when we're going to suffer, and we're going to suffer under, under God's sovereignty, and it's going to be good for us, and it works together for good. But in this case, God was not going to allow him to kill them. His time had not yet come. All of these guys would eventually die for the cause of Christ. But this was not their day. And if it's not their day, there's a power that's more powerful than the intentions of men. Even the most powerful men. Y'all with me? Even those guys that could actually kill them and had the authority to kill them and desired to kill them. God raised up a man among them to say, it's probably not the best idea. And they listened. God knew what he was doing. God works in, even in, in the government around us uh, to take care of his cause as we walk in his cause. So just keep that in mind. All right, number seven, last one. Inflicting suffering versus inviting suffering. The religious leaders were inflicting suffering to get their desired result. That's what they do. The religious leaders were inflicting suffering. Look at it, 39a to 40. So they took his advice, and when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. They did everything they could, and so we're not going to kill them, but we're going to give them a good beating. That'll take care of it, right? We're going to beat them good, and we're going to send them out the door with the same word we gave them before we threw them in prison. Only this time, it's not time out. This time, they're going to have a beating, right? And so they beat them, and they sent them out the door and said, all right, be quiet. Now, we got that taken care of. They inflict suffering. That's what they do. That's what religious leaders do. It's what I did as a religious leader. I inflicted suffering of guilt and shame and, and preaching and speaking things that would make people feel guilty and, and feel like they were worthless and feel like God didn't love them. I didn't do it intentionally, but that's where I was. The things I was saying would make people feel like God, does, God is not for me. God doesn't love me. And I presented God in a false light, and that's what these religious leaders were doing. I never beat anybody. I wanted to a few times. Still do, to be honest. But never beat anybody. But it's, it's a beating. It's a severe beating. It's an emotional scar. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an untruth. It's, a, it's living, lie, living a lie and preaching a lie. Inflicting suffering is the way we get people, the way religious leaders get people to do what they desire them to do. But, the, but look at what the apostles did. They invited suffering. <laughs> they invited suffering. I love their response in 41 and 42. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And then, by the way, 
every day in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease from teaching that Jesus was the Christ. Now, you want to talk about power? Where's the power here? Who's got the power move? You think the Holy Spirit's got a better power move? Or you think these apostles, I mean, these uh, religious leaders have the big power move? Look, all the stuff that churches are doing today in order to power, use these power moves to get people to act the way that we want them to act, to fill their buildings full of people. I've been one of them. All those things that I used to do to get the building full, to make a name for myself, it was all out of, based on the wrong things, all out of jealousy, all out of uh, forcing people to, to do things that they didn't want to do, but I was convincing and manipulative. I used all those methods to get people into the church, and I was good at it, and I filled churches with people. But it is not the way of the Holy Spirit. If this doesn't happen in your heart, then you're missing the point at the gathering place. If your heart's not finding a desire to press into God, if your heart is not finding a desire at least to pursue God and seeing all the struggles and and failing miserably, that's okay. But if your heart's not pressing you toward God, there's this problem with your heart. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's pressing, he's pushing you toward that. That desire is deep down maybe for some of you, but it is you. It's the eternal you that desires it. Press into that. These apostles invited suffering. Look, just bring it on. Just bring it on. We don't, we don't care. We, we count it joy to suffer if we're doing what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. It's okay. So if you're standing for what you believe is right, and you're, you're abiding in Christ, and someone's giving you ridicule, religious people are giving you ridicule about that, consider it joy. Consider that suffering as suffering for the cause of Christ. This is, this is the will of God. Does everybody get that? I mean, it's not like, I know we talk a lot about this, about church and all religion, but that's, this is Jesus in spirit form. You know how we know that? Because last year, we spent the whole year looking at Jesus' encounters with people, and how many good encounters did he ever have with religious leaders? Zero. We know this is the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' spirit that's living inside these apostles because there's the same opposition to their methods and ways. And so when we start thinking about what are we going to do, how are we, gonna, how are we going to uh, be a community that blesses in a way that draws people to Christ, how would this, this little movement of a few hundred people in the two gathering place churches, uh, three, three gathering place churches, how is this little bitty tiny movement, how would that ever, would it, could it ever explode into something big? Could it ever just catch on and people start really having authentic encounters with God and are drawn to Him for themselves and naturally drawn to each other because of the Spirit that lives inside of them. Could that ever happen? I'm saying yes. I'm saying that's what we're seeing in this, in this story of the gospel and the Holy Spirit's movement in the book of Acts. We're seeing the church that's just living by the Spirit and all these things are happening. We don't need another power move. We don't need to gather some more people with a little more influence into our church so that we can start doing something meaningful for for God in this community. We don't need to start gathering a certain type of person, a wealthy person, wealthy people, better educated people or uh, stronger people or, you know, people with position in this town. They don't have to come here in order for an explosive move of God to happen in this town. We need one thing, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit trumps all that. 
Holy Spirit's way more powerful than all that. In every case, he overcomes. In every case, the Holy Spirit does his work, and the the movement of God continues to grow. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. I'm just going to read the first part of it, and we'll close it. All right? Look at it, though. Here's the result. Here's the result of what happens when these apostles get arrested, put in jail. You know, uh, they don't care. They keep preaching. They go to the temple. They preach. They're arrested again. They're beaten, and they're, they're released, and they keep going house to house, and they're still preaching, 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 and they don't respond to the power move of the religious leaders. Here's what happens. Verse 6. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. I don't have it. Yeah, I do. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, okay, in these days, the disciples are continuing to increase in number, all right? And we're going to say what happens next, next week in this particular case, because it's going to be different than what happened this time. But the numbers are still increasing. They're just exploding, and the numbers are increasing in greater numbers. Last week, as a result of, of, of Peter and John being arrested, more than ever, people were brought into the kingdom of God, the scripture says. All right, we need one thing, one kind of power being moving in and out of this church. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for this story of your movement in the lives of those who were devoted to you, surrendered to you, who had a resolve to do nothing but what you led them to do. And so today, Father, I pray for a church full of people. Let us all, God, be, the, be a people who are in the right position, led by the Holy Spirit, not by men or what men think, or definitely not by jealousy. Help us to be a people who are willing to even speak the truth to those who might oppose us. Help us to be a people who are giving no thought to the response of people outside, whether they accept us or not, but just willing to obey you against uh, all opposition, even to the point of inviting suffering in our lives. God, make that happen in our hearts. It has to be a heart thing, God. Nobody acts like this. Nobody does this outside of a Holy Spirit grabbing a heart. So grab our hearts today. Father, let us be different when we walk out, not different. All right, so when that happens, then the next thing that happens behind that is God brings someone in to answer questions, to tell them the truth while they're, while they're feeling that. So the Holy Spirit did something. They recognized it was not them, and then somebody comes and speaks and says, this is who it was. Peter and John, when they healed the man at, at the gate, beautiful, they said, they tried to give them credit for it. They said, no, no, no. We realize that you're amazed, but guess what? That's not us. That's the Holy Spirit. So that's your opportunity to share truth is when that happens. And then also what's happening is every time something, the Holy Spirit does something, everybody's perplexed. The people that are believers, the people that are not believers, the people that are in opposition to Christ, everybody is perplexed, amazed, bewildered. And, and the, their response leads them into one of two communities. One community is the community of Christ that's being formed and exploding right now in the book of Acts. The other community is this growing community of opposition against the cause of Christ and for 
the religious activity of their day. So don't feel bad when God-exclusive stuff causes a division. It's going to draw the right people into this community. And it's going to lead other people into other, another community. Okay? You just let the Holy Spirit do what he's going to do in your life. Let people be perplexed and bewildered and speak truth into it. All right, so that's an important one. So they were perplexed by God's activity. Uh, the religious leaders were. The, the, uh, the apostles were experiencing God's activity. They were the ones that were actually experiencing God's activity in their lives. All right, so that's that. Okay, got a lot of construction going around the place. Uh, just thinking differently, but God, help us to be filled with enough passion and desire for you that we would act differently, that we would allow your spirit to empower us to walk in this way this week. In Jesus' name.